0: This
1: is not a diving podcast, but scuba. Welcome to the show. I'm scuba. This is the Not A Diving podcast. Okay, today is part two of our IMS special. Last week, we were in Ibiza for the International Music Summit, aka IMS. We were invited there by Ben Turner and the team to record three live episodes of this podcast. So on Tuesday, we released the first one, which was recorded last Wednesday with DJ Pippi, which is a really interesting and kind of fun conversation, actually enjoyable. Which got cut a little bit short, but yeah, we definitely got some good stuff out of him, some good stories. But today we have Leslie Tamman, who is the head of music at the Night League, and the Night League, amongst other things, run Ashwire and High the venue formerly known as space in Ibiza. So this is a slightly different conversation, or actually a very different conversation, to the one with DJ Pippi. Leslie obviously is someone who's really deeply immersed in the kind of back end of the Ibiza for nightlife industry. And the opportunity to talk to her was a really, really big one for me because she's not really done any interviews before. Or well, like I found one from like 10 years ago. So this was, uh, yeah, a chance to dig deep into some untold stories, some stuff which hasn't been discussed before. So, yeah, it was great to talk to Leslie, and the conversation is, is really good. So, caveat again, this was recorded outside. There are quite a lot of background noises at various points in the conversation. We were in front of an audience as well, which brings its own dynamic. But, like I said, we were able to, I think have a conversation which probably could have just sat on the main podcast without any of this preamble, really. So yeah, really, really good. Really good. I think you're going to enjoy it. So I think we'll just jump into it today, shall we? If you're feeling the need, you can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash GooberOfficial. But without further delay, here is Leslie (laughs) Tapman. Today we are welcoming... The head of music at the Night League, Leslie Tapman. How are you doing, Leslie?
0: I'm very well. Thank you very much for having me, Paul.
1: So we're gonna chat about your your role now, your your history in Ibiza, your journey in music, generally speaking, as it is. But I wanted to kind of kick off with something a bit more esoteric. So this is this is obviously a podcast. We've had we're on episode 67, I think it is. And one of the things we've talked about quite a bit on the show is whether DJing is an art or not and as someone who books DJs for a living do you consider DJing to be an art
0: that's a very good question I mean absolutely I think you have to be very creative um technically creative as well as you know your your musical knowledge needs to be very broad and and yeah I do feel that it's something that you have to have in you I don't think it's something that you're born with or is it something you're born with
1: (laughs) Um that that's a good that is a good question. I As mean DJ, mu- musical talent is something perhaps that you're born with but then you have to get it out of yourself I think perhaps.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think it's something that if if you have an if you have a feeling for it you want to explore it. Um most of the DJs that I know they live and breathe music, you know, and that becomes their career. And they travel all around the world and that it's not necessarily an, an easy thing to do. It looks very glamorous, but they dedicate their lives to to DJ and into music
1: yeah it's definitely not that glamorous is it mm,
0: not really no well I'm not a DJ I think I am sometimes yeah usually in the wild corner when the DJ nips off to go to the toilet I jump on
1: <laughs> I mean that's a another question related to that it's you know as someone who as I said who books DJs and puts parties together I mean is, is that an art because it strikes me I mean I've, I've I've done that for our own events and I think that there is a there is certainly at at the very least a pretty high degree of skill in putting together a party that works. So what do you think? Is that an art?
0: Well, for me, I think, if I think about myself, I've always had a love for music. You know, I grew up around music. There was always music in my house. You know, my parents were uh, relatively young parents. And I think that's where I got my musical education from was my my dad. You know, so we used to go to concerts together... I think my first ever concert I went to was uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood when I was 12. You know, so for me, yes, it's definitely something that you have to have a knowledge of and a a passion for in order to drive that forward into doing what I do, you know. And and you're always having to educate yourself, stay relevant with the music that's happening. There's always new artists coming through. Um, So for me, it's always about keeping myself relevant in the music scene educating myself every day and uh yeah again just to answer your question i do think it's something that you have to have a passion for
1: yeah yeah okay that 100 makes sense so um give us an overview now of of what you're what you do now like what is your job exactly
0: okay uh which one (laughs) yeah i mean all (laughs) of them preferably um okay so right now i am head of music for the night league which is made up of high and ashwaiya And I also look after a venue in Bali. More recently, I've joined a a team in Bali that I look after the the musical programming for that. Um, It's a place called Savaya. Uh, Beautiful, beautiful location in the middle of the jungle. And uh, that's that's my role, and I'm responsible for all of the music, all the DJ bookings, and just making sure that everything is cohesive and uh, all of the residencies are all locked in, that we have the right lineups complementing each headline residency. Um, I have an amazing team that works with me. Um, I've got Jodie Layton who works at at High and I have another girl called Shireen Shafari who is at Ushuaia. So between the three of us, we're a really pretty, pretty tight team.
1: So how many shows a year are you putting together?
0: Oof. Okay, if we just think about Ibiza, um, we do probably around... Between High and Ashwai, it's about 220 events, and that would be based over 23 weeks. Um, DJ-wise, DJ bookings, I think we do probably about 1,500 <laughs> <laughs> bookings <laughs> across High and Ashwai. So that's a lot of contracts to read. Um, and then for Bali, well, it's, all, it's a bit different because Bali's all year round, so it, it never closes we we have one week where we have a little bit of a religious holiday there that we we stop for, but other than that, it's all year round. So I program three days a week there.
1: Right. Okay. So a lot of shows and a lot of sweaty DJs to deal <laughs> with. So okay, I want to I want to go back to the start and how you got into this stuff. I mean, you've been coming to Ibiza for a couple of decades at this point, I guess. Whoa! So. Hang on. <laughs> Don't
0: be revealing my age. <laughs> <laughs> um.
1: So, but how did you? Get interested in music. I mean, were you a music person when you were a kid? Like, did you, you know... Were I played pl- the
0: recorder, but that was about it. <laughs> no, I mean, like I say, my dad was very much a musical influence for me. Um, he wasn't involved in the music industry. He just loved music. So, you know, as I say, we grew up around music. And um, for me, I guess my first, if we talk about Ibiza, my first holiday to Ibiza was with, with my mum and dad. And uh, I remember we were staying in, I think it was Santa Ulalia. And we went on a bus tour, you know, around San Antonio. Why we went on a bus tour around San Antonio, I couldn't even tell you. But I guess because, as I said, my parents were pretty young. So we went, we went past. It was, would have been coup at the time. And I remember my dad saying to me, it's 15 pounds to get in there. <laughs> like, fast forward. <laughs> Which I'm so sure this must would, have
1: been, what, early 90s?
0: Um, yeah, I think. No, it would have been late 80s. Late 80s, yeah. So, yeah, we went past there. And I remember thinking, one day I'm going to come back here. When I'm old enough to go on holiday, this is going to be my first holiday. And, um, yeah, as soon as I turned 18, I came to Ibiza. And that would have been, again, I think I actually went to the opening party of Mambos. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's a long time ago. Right, okay. I'm it was sure. 1994.
1: Right, okay. So this is a different era. I know, I know. I
0: don't look that old, but.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me, so, so what else did you do on that holiday? You went to Mambo's, but.
0: Yeah, I mean, we went to Mambo's. We went to, we went on a, it was a package holiday, which they, they pretty much don't exist anymore. So we went, to, we went to, it was like allocation on arrival. So you didn't know you we were staying until you got there, which was, so we ended up in Figuerettis, which was awful. And, uh, our rep came around to, you know, to sell us the trips and everything. And they said, well, if you want to go to the super clubs, yeah, we totally got it wrong because we came right towards the end of the season. And they said, it's the closing of privilege. And um, yeah, we went there. We went to, it was Manumission. And uh, I was like, right, okay, this is definitely, the energy that this island has, is it's unmeasurable. you know." And I just connected with Ibiza as soon as I got here. And, uh, yeah, that was it. So I started basically coming...
1: Hang on a sec, hang on a sec. Describe that manumission party, because those parties are kind of legendary, right?
0: Well, I lost my shoe in the swimming pool. Um, <laughs> it was one of those, yeah... You, how do I, if I think about it now, kind of ri- reminds me of the hedonistic craziness of what maybe Elro is a little bit, you know, with the performers and everything you see there, but on a different scale. But it was pre-Mike and Claire before all of the the naughtiness um, one but yeah it. it was like I walked in and there was someone peeling potatoes in the corner you know it was just that sort of is this really happening you know but it was it was an amazing show I think So you mean that literally,
1: literally there was literally someone peeling yeah. potatoes in the corner
0: yeah yeah because it was just it was a bit crazy you know okay and uh, I remember I went to the bathroom and there was Fat Boy Slim playing in the toilet you know so it was one of those you just never really knew what was going to happen. So that was my introduction to Ibiza.
1: Okay. on So a two-week holiday.
0: Yeah, it was a two-week holiday.
1: Right. And then that's in 94. Um, so what was the journey from that to moving here, wanting to you know, make this your, essentially your life, your, your, you know, your working life anyway? So
0: 94 was the first, seat, the first trip. Um, we went back again in 95. And then 96, I returned uh, as a Club 18 to 30 holiday rep. Which was okay. Go on. <laughs> I don't really remember much about that season, to be honest.
1: <laughs> okay, that makes but was, sense. But it was
0: it was pretty crazy, you know. And I was this little naive girl from Belfast. That
1: for those of us who haven't had the pleasure of attending an eighteen thirty holiday, what, what does a rep have to do on such a trip?
0: Well, put it like this: I haven't done any public speaking since then. <laughs> you know, I'd have to. You'd have to go to the airport. You would have to meet the meet the, the the tourists when they arrive, you know, with your clipboard, put them on the coach, take them into town, take them to their hotel. Um, they'd always complain because the hotels weren't the best. And then the next morning you'd have to sell them a load of trips, you know, as in excursions, right. and uh, ferry them around clubs, take them out, get them drunk, you know, all of that. All of the stuff that you see on TV was pretty much what it was.
1: And was that something that you... Ever- into <laughs>
0: <laughs> no I um I let I did Club 1830 and I ran away and I thought wow that really burnt me I, d- I didn't enjoy it I, I thought right I'm- I don't ever want to go back to Ibiza again you know it really changed my my view on how the other side can be um, and then I still continue to go back in holiday but it wasn't until it was 2000 I decided you know what I don't ever quit anything And I did quit the Club 1830 thing just before the end of the season, and that really got to me. So I thought, I'm going to give this another go. So I went for an interview for Twenties Holidays, and when they said to me, where do you want to go? And I said, anywhere but Ibiza. So I went to Gran Canaria, and I did a year there, and then the next year they flew me to Ibiza. But it was a very different experience and obviously things had changed by then, you know, from the 90s to the 2000s. How people worked and how they treated their staff was a little bit different.
1: Okay, so that was going to be my question. So from a first experience in 94, but obviously only as a, yeah, as a tourist, like through to that early 2000s period, what, what were the changes practically? And actually, what were the changes musically if there were only as well? Because, I mean, that, that whole period uh, of the 90s was, was a time where things changed quickly, right? So. Yeah,
0: I think the 90s for me was probably the time that music was most alive, you know. It was just, even now I can see in DJ sets when they're playing, they're starting to bring a lot of that sound back into their sets, you know, because at the end of it, it's house music, you know, and it's it's happy, it's hands in the air, it's, it just takes you back to a moment in time, you know. So that for me in the 90s was probably one of the best times to be on this island and to experience dance, dance music, you know, as, as it was then.
1: But how, but how? what was the kind of process of change, I guess? So get, coming up to, like, the early 2000s as you mentioned, when you came here again, like, what was the... Like, did, did you observe that at the time that there'd been changes, musically or, or otherwise?
0: I guess... Subconsciously, yes, probably. But I was so immersed in, you know, what we were doing with, with the holiday company and being constantly busy. And, you know, you would go to the clubs. I think at that time, there was... House music was still very relevant. Very, it was still in the, at the forefront at that time of the year or at that time, you know, in that time frame. But yes, there was definitely changes. You could feel it. You know, you could feel the more electronic sound was starting to come in. Um, yeah, for me, it was it was definitely a, a very different time. Ibiza had definitely started to change, not just for music, but also for what you could and couldn't do on the island. You know, it became back then in the nineties. It was a little bit more free. A little bit less restricted, you know. You could party on the beach, you know. You could open your club. Your club could be open for twenty four hours a day. That all changed. That all started to change, and that was very much. I think I was very still involved in Ibiza at that time. So I, I could see it from the early nineties to I'm still here. So we have a lot to talk about.
1: (laughs) Right. Okay. So, so having come back from Grand Grand Canary and then getting jetted off here, I mean, having requested not to come here, were you then happy to be back, or like, what, what was your view on it? Do
0: you know, I was because, A, I was working for a different company so their policies were very different, you know, when I worked for, in the 90s it was seven days a week no days off, you know it was just constant lack of, no sleep, pretty pretty much what we do now, isn't That's it? Awesome. it? <laughs> No, it was very it was a very different time and then I went to work for a different company and when I got here I was expecting the worst I was always thinking right it's gonna come it's gonna come I'm not gonna enjoy this and actually I had the best summer because I was like prepare for the worst and hope for the best you know and yeah I mean I did one season as a holiday rep and then they promoted me to the the area manager so then I yeah
1: doing something right then presumably
0: it must have been yeah I think so but yeah, so I stayed in Ibiza, yeah, we st- I stayed with the company for another four years, okay. and I ran a team of reps, I had like 30 reps that worked for, you know, below me, and we used to do all of the things, like the excursions, take people to Manumission, take people to Eden for Judgment Sunday, all, all of all of the big clubs, and then lots of other like ad hoc events that we used to do. And, uh, So, yeah,
1: I was just going to ask then, um, was, was the music side of it always important to you? Like... Yeah.
0: Right. I think if you're a type of person, you're coming to Ibiza for a reason, you right. know? And majority of the people that were coming to Ibiza are coming because they love the music, they love the island, you know? And occasionally you would get people that would book the trips because, or book, book the holiday company because it was a cheap way to get to Ibiza, you know? They didn't necessarily want to hang out with the reps because we're not cool. However... They wanted to, you know, they'd get there, they'd stay in the accommodation. But for me, it was very important when I was putting together the the programme that we catered for everybody so that we would have, you know, we could say, okay, well, you can do a beach party, but also we can take you to Manumission, you know. So that was that was important for me to be diverse with what we were what we were offering as a service.
1: And did you have a clear idea that you wanted to move more into the music side of it? Cuz obviously that's what you eventually did. So that was was that something that you had at the back of your mind throughout or was it was the move something that which was more sort of uh um expeditious if that's the word?
0: Um honestly, I just think I've been really lucky. You know, it's something that I've always loved and always yeah, maybe I've always wanted I've always wanted to be involved in the music business. I just didn't know to the extent of how it would end up.
1: Uh, was that just because of the sort of perceived glamour of it that we all kind of have at the back of our minds and isn't always completely um, played out in in reality? Was, was that just it?
0: No, I, I think from being in Ibiza and seeing how everything works and it was just like, yeah, I, I think I could do this, you know? I think I could really get my teeth into this and... I knew I had a musical knowledge, you know. I went to every party, you know. I used to read Mix Mike when I was younger and I'd know all the DJs and, you know, I'd go out. I would basically look to see who was playing where. It wasn't like I'm going here because it's a night out. I was going to see a specific artist. And, yeah, I just feel like how, how I transitioned from, the, from being in the holiday company to moving into the music industry, it was, it was meeting people through what I was doing. You know, so I had these relationships with, you know, we took people to Manumission, we took people to Judgment Sunday, we took people to El Davino. So I started to form relationships with these promoters, club owners. And that's kind of how I transitioned into when I decided... The reason why I I left the holiday company was because they wanted to move me on because your growth can only be so far in Ibiza because it's a small gateway. So they said, for me, for you to grow, we need you to move to Mallorca. And i said i don't you know I, I, I we always want to grow, but for me, I was at such, such a connection with this island i didn't want to leave, so that 's how that evolved
1: right and then so what was the what was the first job that you had doing this music stuff?
0: okay, my first job, let me think now i 've had a few <laughs> um so my first job was I started running the promotions, the PR and the promotions for um, a club night called Kiss to Funk, which was... Uh, it was Rob Sarah. It was Rob Sarah's brand, Rob um, from Leeds. And, you know, he'd been playing on the island for many years. His night was doing very successful in in the UK, and he decided he wanted to bring it to Ibiza. So I met up with him, and uh, I, decide, I, I took the job... And I was running all this, the promotions. I had the street teams. So I was basically managing the PR.
1: But it was a launch of a new night.
0: It was a launch of a new night, yeah. Right, and
1: so you've done a few of these launches over the years, some of which we're going to get to later. But so, I mean, that's going to be a big challenge, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it was, for us, it was all about creating the hype, you know, and making sure that we, we, made, we made noise on the island and made sure there was a lot of visibility, a lot of marketing, a lot of promotion, and just flooding the island, you know, and... Back then, it wasn't social media wasn't a thing, you know. So it was all about
1: that was that was the question, right? So yeah, how how was it then? And, and like, what are the main differences? Just to, like step back a little bit and be more bit more general for a moment. Like, what are the differences between now and then in terms of well,
0: you have promoting? To be a, back then, you were it was guerrilla marketing. You know, it was street teams, it was posters, it was flyers. Again, going back to what I was saying about uh, there's a lot more restrictions in Ibiza now. You know, you could have PRs on the beach, giving out flyers, putting on wristbands. Um, oh, can
1: you not do that now?
0: You're not, not supposed to. <laughs> we can, we can in a, in a, in a way, but you have to have licenses and, you know, that costs money. But back then, it wasn't like that, you know, you could do, you could pretty much get away with all of that and, we would have like PRs all over the island. We'd drop them off at beaches. They would be flyering, chatting to people, trying to sell tickets, you know, driving people to ticket outlets. So it was it was probably tougher then than it, you know, it's got a lot easier, I would imagine, since then. And
1: so now and it's presumably majority digital now, I guess, digital marketing. Is that is that right?
0: Yeah, there's a lot. The way we would do our marketing now is mostly online and digital. And, you know, you still have the ticket outlets because you need to have the island supporting you. But generally now, kids that are coming to Ibiza, they don't leave it till they they get to the island to buy their tickets. They're buying them online. You know, they're already picking where they want to go and, and pre-buying.
1: So, was the launch of that night successful?
0: I think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, yeah, could you could was, you
1: uh, be objective and say? No, some it, answer. it
0: actually was. It was very very busy. Um, I mean, my husband's here. He was he went to it, so he can back me up. But yeah, it was. <laughs> It was a really, really busy night, and it was it was a Monday night as well. So I think for a Monday on the island, it was it was very, very busy, and it continued to do that all the way through the summer. You know, we had a really good flow. Um, we we got we got the formula right, and we created a really good a good brand for the island. So sadly, it, they 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 left after the, the first year. Um, El Divino closed. So you know, but it was it was the end of it was the end of that era. Um, but it was a really, really good... It was a good season.
1: So, and then where did you move them to after that?
0: I then moved to Eden.
1: Okay, so this is the this is Pete Tong's night? Yeah. Wonderland? Yeah. Okay, so I wanted to ask something about specifically about this because my understanding of this was that it was an attempt to... Well, a big part of the selling point of the night was to get people back to San Antonio, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so for the benefit of podcast listeners on the feed who maybe aren't quite so familiar with the machinations of the areas of Ibiza can you tell us why that was necessary and why maybe it was a bit of a challenge to take on
0: I mean it was a challenge in, in terms of I don't think anyone quite believed that Pete Tong was coming to Eden you know it was a pretty controversial move um, But but
1: why why was that? Why did people have that perception?
0: Because it's there, for some reason, people have this stigma about San Antonio. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine why. (laughs) Neither can I. (laughs) But you know, you forget San Antonio. It's it's got the sunset. You know, it's got Cafe Mambo. It's where all the best DJs in the world do their pre-parties. So you know, you've got some amazing restaurants there, some phenomenal beaches. You know, around that coast. So yes. Like everywhere, you know, you have the parts of it that you'd like to sort of put a rope around and, you know. <laughs> but I do feel that, you know, if we, if we talk about now what they're doing with San Antonio, they're really, they're investing a lot of money into it and they're, they're, they're redoing the West End and it's going to have a bit of a rebirth, you know. They're trying to clean up that West End area. But going back to, the, to Wonderland, I think it was just, it was definitely, icon- it was an iconic move for Eden, to bring Pete to San Antonio. For us, um, working on the event, it, was cha- it, it, did co- it did come with its challenges. You know, it came, we're trying to educate these artists that, hey, San Antonio exists, you know, people that didn't act, would never have even considered that this pla- that, you know to go to this place, you know.
1: So just to put it in concept, this is just like a few miles that way, right? So it's, <laughs> there's a kind of psychological barrier more than a geographical one here. Is that That's fair?
0: For sure. Yeah, you know, people can fly in, uh, artists that fly in, they they come, they go to the port, you know, they go to Pasha, they go to Marina Bodafog, and that side of the island, you know, it's not even in their, their thought process to go, unless they're going to watch Sunset or, you know, they're going to play at Mambos, it's just not somewhere that people tend to put on their to-do list for Ibiza, let's say.
1: Okay, so so how do you go about changing hearts and minds here, if I could put it like that? <laughs>
0: Uh, with a lot of blood, sweat and tears, you know, we, we did it. We did it. I mean, we did, it was three years, you know, the first year it was hype. We built the hype, you know, there was a lot of excitement around the fact that Pete was coming to, to San Antonio. And I mean, look, we had Lady Gaga, Lady Gaga performed live there. We had dead mouse. We had Luciano in the early days. So we did, we did convince people that this was the right thing to do, you know, and anyone that played there, they had a great time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've, it would seem that like, yeah, the, the initial hype building things, probably the easy part there, right? And then sustaining it is more tricky. Is that is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, I think, but we, we had a, we had a really good team. You know, we had all the support from Pete's team. We had an amazing uh, promotional team. The venue really did make a lot of changes that Pete needed. And I do feel like, they were very, very forward-thinking with everything that they did, you know. So in terms of the technology, the lighting, the visuals, you know, we, I guess we introduced a lot of that to, to Eden and maybe to Ibiza, you know, because we had Pete's team around us that really worked hard to make sure the aesthetics of the, of the night stood out from any other night that was, I think, any, any other night that was probably on the island at that time.
1: Okay, but it came to an end after three years... And you just mentioned that they're having to redo it again now. So was it, again, here's the question, was it successful in your opinion?
0: Um, for the for the time that it was there, yes. But again, everything has its moment, you know. I think that was another pivotal point where times started to change. New, new nightclubs started to, you know, then then in comes Oshuaia. So around that time, that was more or less when, you know, other things were starting to happen, so... Yeah, I do feel like it, it. It for the three years that it was there, it did exceptionally well. It definitely put San Antonio back on the map.
1: Yeah. So was the peripheral stuff then to, to the night, which um, built during those three years around San, in and around San Antonio? Or did it, Did it? Would you would you say achieve the objective of the kind of wider objective of changing the perception of that area of the islands? Uh,
0: I, definitely, definitely. If you see now what's happened there since then, you know, obviously. You've got Ocean Beach. You've got new hotels that have gone up. A lot of the hotels now in San Antonio are all renovated. You've got the concept group are, that are there. You know, you've know, you got all of those beautiful hotels now all renovated in the bay. So I, do, I definitely think it's brought more business and more interest to, to, to that side of the island.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, so you did you find yourself out of a job then when, when it ended? Did you have to look for something? No, no. Okay, so what I, basically, your...
0: what happened with me was... I then, I then met Pete's team. So they, they, asked, they basically asked me if I would go and work for them in London. So I moved with them. So I went to work for his management team at, at Anglo Management. So I did that for three years. and I, I, worked on, I then went on to work directly with Pete on his day-to-day. So I did all of his day-to-day logistics um, at his management company.
1: Living back in London?
0: I lived in London in the, in the winter and then I was back here in the summer. Okay.
1: And then, so you mentioned Ushuaia. Um Ushuaia, I think it's fair to say, has divided opinion over the, and particularly maybe in the early years. It's, it, I mean, you're nodding, Okay, I'm glad you're on board with this. Um, what was it? Well, how well, How did you move there? What was the, were you approached? Like, what, what was the process? And then what was the, uh, what was your involvement initially? Okay,
0: so... I was still working for Pete at the time. We, Ashwaya had done, it, it, they started on the beach. So they did amazing things on the beach. And then uh, the beach got so big that he had to think about doing, um, okay, what can we do here? Because beach, at that point, you know, doing events on the beach was a big no no and it sort of grew out of control. So then obviously Ashwaya then moved to, to the hotel. Um, they, we had Usher. So Pete had Usher at Pasha. Okay, so Pete's back at Pasha. They had, we had Usher, and they had said, should we do a daytime event because this beautiful hotel's open? You know, they're looking for content. So Usher then did a pre, like, let's say a pre-event at Ushuaia. And that was really when Ushuaia was born. That was, that was basically, I think that put Ashwaya on the map uh, for the sheer volume of what we did that day. So how I got involved with Ishwaya. So
1: let me just clarify that for a moment. So was that their first event in that the That was their first
0: year. So they'd done, they'd done smaller events, mm-hmm. uh, but this was sort of the, big, the bigger scale event where we had a live performer. Uh, we had Pete Tong, we had Idris Elba. There was a lot of David Morales came to play. So there was a huge lineup that didn't probably really know so much about this venue, you know, because it was, it was very new. So pre, pre-event, I went to meet the owner, Jan, peace and name. So I went to meet Jan with my colleague from Anglo. And basically I'd said to him, look, if you want, I'll help you with the promo. And he said, right, okay. I said, look, I'm just going to be honest, there is no presence in San Antonio. And I guess from them being on the beach and the type of clientele that they had was a very, very high end, right? So I said, you have this beautiful venue. It's big. You need... You need to fill this. And those kids in San Antonio are going to be the people that buy the ticket, buy the drinks, and spend, their, spend all of their holiday money at your venue. So that's where you need to target your marketing. So he said, can you help me? And I said, of course. So I did. And uh, we put, put 5,000 people in Oshawa that day. And it was an amazing event. It was incredible. And then Jan said to me, um, can you help me for the rest of the summer? So I said, okay, well, what, what would you want me to do? And he said, just can you help me do what you know what you did for this event? So that's kind of, I put a street team together, we got poster guys there, and we organized all of the marketing and visibility for that side of the island. Then I, I did spoke to bus companies so we could bus people over there, and we just did that for the whole summer. And then I kind of thought... I was going back and forward to London in the winter and it was great, but, you know, i just Sorry, got So what year,
1: what year are we in?
0: We're in 2011. So, yeah, so we're back and forth. I was back and forth to London and i just got married and I thought, I don't want to keep moving back and forward. So I'd just, I'd said to Jan, look, if you want me to do this, if you want me to help you properly, I can do that. And he said, okay. So I think I met him in the February and in Vairdere, so... Bearing in mind, back then we were. When I went to meet him, he had three people in the office, and he was one of them. And the office was a flat in Vardare, in the middle of the Ibiza town. And uh, I said to him, you know, I met him in the February, and I said, you know, I can I can help on a much more exclusive scale if you want. You know, I can work with you exclusively, and help you build, build out the season. So that was. February and he said okay well we can start this in April or May you know when we start to open the venue so I gave him my CV and he called me the next day and he was like can you start tomorrow <laughs> I was like right okay that's fine um so that was it basically I started in the so open. just
1: sorry just to clarify the previous year they've been doing the hotel every how, how often were they doing events
0: I think they were doing events two days a week if I remember so and, then, and
1: then the following season, which you were being asked to work on, was was ramping it up, presumably.
0: We did. We did five days a week. So we didn't. We weren't. We didn't go too aggressively at the beginning. It was five. Yeah, it was five days a week. Um, and how
1: many? How many tickets? Five. Is the five thousand figure is that the capacity or is there more?
0: I mean, you've seen the size of it. We can fit more right. than five thousand. <laughs> um, you know, but it, it was. That didn't happen overnight, you know? Like, everything, you have to work at it.
1: Right, so that was my question. Well, it was going to be my question. Um, Starting something from the ground up, to an extent, anyway, obviously, they've been doing parties, as you've been describing. Um, Did you look to sell it with names, primarily? Like, what was the strategy there? Because someone, obviously, Ashwai has been... Well, I mean, like you said, Usher has been the first really significant event, but Ushua has been associated with like you know, big stars, so that was a, that was presumably a deliberate strategy.
0: Yeah, I mean, like like everywhere, you know, what sells your night, what sell, what fills your venue, you've got to look at. Okay, we did Usher; it, it worked. You know, we all we 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 had back then before I started, Luciano was doing an event. He'd moved from the beach, um, so he was doing his event um we had defected in there as well which did really well so yeah I guess of course you have to look at what everyone else is doing you know to see not look at what everyone else is doing but just see what's working how can we how can we do better how can we where do you fit I suppose where do we fit yeah where do we fit and it took us a long time to fit in you know we're still fitting in
1: (laughs) right I mean I mentioned that there was a perhaps the venue divided opinion a little bit. I mean, was there much... I mean, did you detect that at the time? Or is it something that you can look back on in hindsight? I mean, obviously, there's, there is a development which is coming, which divided opinion a little bit more. But <laughs> but just taking a Ashwire in its initial incarnation... like I mean, I remember the first time I came to play in the was I came to play at Space, and around this time, I think it was 2012. And there was definitely some uh, grumbling going on (laughs) amongst probably around uh, someone who you know but um, there was definitely like I said it it felt like there was a I don't know if snootiness is the right word but there was definitely a, there was it felt like there's some noses been put out of joint by the establishment of this thing so is that fair
0: Oh for sure I mean like it's like anything when something new comes along people are always going to have an opinion aren't they you know and the fact that we're right across the road didn't help <laughs> but you know it's it's one of those things it's 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 evolution you know the island is changing all the time and I feel like when we started out prop, did we think it was going to be the thing that it is now we hoped but you know we just we're just hard workers you know we just all want to do well so we just kept our head down we we stayed humble we knocked on a lot of doors you know we yeah we just we made sure that everybody that came to play for us we really looked after you know that they wanted to come back and I think that's how that's kind of how it grew, grew you know and you know, we did a lot of things with um, with the artists that we had. Luciano, you know, he's obviously had an amazing career. He loved playing for us. People talk, and people would come and play for him, and then it just evolved. You know, as as everything does.
1: So, apart from Luciano, what were the key like early nights
0: when I joined? So I joined that winter, uh, moving into that summer, which is 2012. We'd gone from doing smaller, smaller scaled events to and I remember when I went in the office and I asked him, what's the lineup for this year? And he was like, David Guetta, da 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 I was like, wow, like, how did this all come about, you know? So it was just like after one season, it really, you know, it really... We were on the map, let's say, and we had... David came to play for us. We had Sweet, Swedish House Mafia, Luciano, we had Defected. And just from there, we just grew and grew. And then as times change, you know, digital marketing came in, social media you know, videos, iPhones, people posting. And it just it just kept steamrolling from there.
1: So when did you move from being on the marketing side to doing bookings?
0: Pretty much that week when I went to Jan's office. <laughs> I did saw my CV and, and, and he said, can you, what do you know about music? What did it? So we, we started talking and honestly, we're a family. Like we're literally a family. And we started with just myself Jan the accountant and a designer and now we're probably like a thousand staff over both venues two clubs so yeah we grew from just a court a small team to so going back to that question I'm off on a tangent now but um he he we started chatting what do you think about this DJ what do you think about that and he said oh maybe you can help me with the bookings so we locked each. We just locked ourselves into his office, and we'd, we'd make a lot of lists, and then we'd make more lists, and then we would cross off names, and we would, you know, we'd reach out to agents, and we'd reach out to managers, and that's kind of how we did it, and we still do that to this day. We make our wish lists, and uh, we go for what we want.
1: Okay, so the um, difficult situation, which I referred to previously, is, is looming. Um, space closed in. 2016 um like to what extent was the space site in the crosshairs if i can put it like that prior to space closing Like, was was the establishment of high something which had been planned i mean i i I appreciate this is a slight delicate (laughs) topic (laughs) but let's let's get into it shall we um to what extent was was this something which was definitely coming and yeah, tell me about
0: it. It wasn't forced. It wasn't, it wasn't something that it was pre-planned, let's say, you know, it was an opportunity that that, that came, you know, it was coming to the end of its lease and we were already involved, you know, with the the owners already, we were involved with the partners and, and it was an opportunity.
1: So this story has been told from a different angle previously on the podcast by Mark Broadbent, who is the promoter of We Love as a Space. And <laughs> his his take was that um Pepe was offered the opportunity to essentially become what High has become and wasn't keen on it. Can you comment on that version of events at all?
0: Oh I mean that's new information to me. Um so probably not, but I'm not going to elaborate because I, I don't know. That's not, I didn't actually know that. But again, you know, you, it comes to a certain time and is it, do you keep going or do you just, you've done what you're doing and do you want to keep going? You know, we all get to a certain age and maybe it was just his time to, to Okay, relax. well, that's a
1: different version. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to come down on either side of this particular fence. But... um your responsibilities at Ushuaia were then directly transferred
0: into yeah. High? Yeah.
1: And how much were you involved in the planning of the actual venue? Because, I mean, it's quite different to space. I mean, it's you know, they obviously kept the kind of overall layout of mm-hmm. the, you know, the rooms. But, I mean, it, it definitely has a different look and feel. And I think that maybe the strategy around it broadly was a little bit different. So how much were you involved in all that?
0: I mean, Jan involves his team in everything, you know. He's very open and discusses everything, but the, the creative vision and how he wanted that Club to look was... It came from him, you know. We all had we all had our say and, you know, maybe we should do this or can we do that or why don't we put a DJ booth in the toilets? Let's go back to the manumission days. But, you know, everything comes from him because he, he, the guy is a creative genius, you know, and everything is so perfectly planned out to where the glasses are going to go and how you're going to do this and how you're going to serve the vip clients and everything is so well thought out that that club for me it's you know it's it's well it is it's the best club in the world but how that how it's been designed that's big talk it's a fact (laughs) according to dj mag but you know it's yeah, we we we're we're all very 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 we're a family there. So we all have our ideas, and we all try to put our um, implement our ideas and work together. But yeah, I mean, look, there's photos of me with a hard hat in the middle of the. You know, I was very much involved from from day one, which I'm very proud to say. You know, because I could see it from from when it was space to when it was you know it was rubble to where it is now. You know.
1: Okay. Yeah. So quite a lot of people weren't too keen on seeing it turn to rubble um (laughs) we (laughs) mentioned that Ushuaia was a slightly divisive in its early years and clearly the end of space was something which uh provoked quite an emotional response amongst a lot of people I think understandably so right so and and that must that blowback must have been much more obvious to you guys as a team right
0: yeah of course I mean like you know change is change, you know, not everybody will embrace it, and you're always going to have, everyone's going to have an opinion, you know, and yes like, my first Ibiza experiences was at space, you know, and for me yeah, you have a moment in time like, everything moves on, you know, I feel like what we've done is is for the greater good for the island, you know, I feel like, what high from when we started out to where we are now, we never imagined that you know, the success would be so imminent. You know, it's such, it's such an amazing venue. We did try to be respectful of the island and the heritage of, of, of the club, of course. Um, when we did our marketing campaign, we embraced the island. We embraced a lot of the locals. You know, we, we went to the croissant show. We went to, you know, we, we, we spoke to a lot of local uh, islanders and in, embraced them and included them in our marketing campaign when we were launching High. You know, we some of the staff from space still work work there. You know, so we were very mindful of that. You know, we we were very respectful. I I I believe, and I feel that we managed it in the right way.
1: I mean, how difficult a thing was it to manage, though?
0: Um, it's a good question. Like anything, you, you just do. You know, you just have to get on with it. And I feel like we're we're here. We're doing a really good job. I feel like. High has become an amazing place to go, and it's 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 on the map and it's part of people's holiday when they want to come. We're we're one box that gets ticked that we can see now from looking looking at the numbers and the ticket sales for this year based on last year or years gone by. You know, it's 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 doing incredibly well.
1: Yeah, um, no doubt. I mean, one of the things, one of the criticisms of the venue, uh, certainly early on, was the fact that there was a lot more VIP compared to the um, previous space. Now, clearly, this is something which is extremely relevant to the bottom line, but there are um, implications for the party at a more general level. So, how do you look at? I mean, well, to what extent are are you in? Well, I'm I'm presuming you are involved because apparently you're involved in everything. But (laughs) to what extent is this a factor in your thinking? Right, the the, the potential negative effect of having too much VIP in a room.
0: I mean, look, if I've been coming here since the '90s. There was VIP already existing then, you know? Pasha was a VIP club in the 90s. You know, Privilege had VIP. Amnesia had VIP. It's just, if I think about it from a VIP perspective, you know, and I'm not a VIP, but if I'm going to a club, I'm a little bit older now. Maybe I want to buy a table. Maybe I want, you know, so I think that the the clientele still that came to Ibiza all those years ago still want to come to Ibiza. They're a little bit older they've maybe got a little bit more money and they want to have that, that experience. But it doesn't take anything away from the dance floor.
1: Okay, I'm, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. Okay. I mean, a dance floor is uh, it's almost a religious experience at its best, right? And if it's being observed by a bunch of rich people, mm-hmm. I would hypothesize that necessarily, well, that may might potentially have a negative effect. Do you agree with that?
0: Not necessarily. I mean, obviously, for us in High, we have, two, we have two, two rooms. One room is zero VIP, you know, so we cater for everybody. We have the disco toilet, you have the VIP, you have the main, the main theatre, where if you want to buy a table, and by the way, those people are dancing just as much as the people on the dance floor. But you also have another room in there that is strictly just people, just clubbers on that dance floor having a great time. So that's where I feel that High is a little bit different and caters for everybody.
1: Okay, I'll accept that. <laughs> so what were the important early residencies at High that made it an instant success, which it definitely was?
0: I mean, for us, we already had our eye on this guy from, for about two years before we actually, before High even existed. We were like, when this is coming, you know, this is the, this is the person that we need, to, we need to go for and this is the guy that's amazing and, yeah, it, black coffee you know he's what we've grown together i think hi natty us we're all a family but he was for us that was super important for us that we had someone like him in our club and you know he for us it's, it's one of the one of the if not the strongest knight on the island
1: okay and so give me a give me a couple of other ones like
0: um, early, see- so year one, we we. Natty's been with us since, since day one. He basically opened the club with us. Um, who else did we have? We glitter box. So again, that was really important for me as a glitter box regular. When it was space, it was really important that we had that brand in there because it was just. I think the club was made for it. You know, we go. Re- it goes really, really well hand in hand. Um, we had our own brand at that point. On a Thursday, we we had a night called in the dark which was we showcased a lot of the tech house guys the Steve Lawlers of the world and the Nick Fanchulis and Colch and Yoris Forn that was on a Thursday um god I can't remember now it's that long ago okay Uh, Martin uh, Garrix was on Monday
1: right mentioning in-house stuff Ants is an in-house brand I believe is that correct correct? yeah and you've been involved in development of that since it started. I guess. In fact, you booked me for it once. I'm going to j- tell j- you right j- now. I,
0: I'm going to tell right. Can I can I start the story of ants, or should we get to that bit first? <laughs> okay. So, so ants. Right. Okay. So this is another thing. We were sitting in that flat in array, four of us planning to take over the world. And Jan um, yeah, was like, "Right. Do you know what it was actually?" As going back to it was hard at the early days to get people to want to come and play at Ishwaia. right they didn't consider it necessarily cool so we're like right let's just create our own brand then let's just create our own brand and let's invite people to play under our brand and yam was like let's call it ants i'm like right as in the movie because that's the first thing everybody thinks about right when you say ants and he started to explain it ants are underground they're workers they're a colony you know, so he was like, right, okay, so let's, let's think about this. We can create something for the workers of the island to give back. Let's create a workers' card. So then all the ideas started, you know, it started evolving from there. So we went to Miami to the Winter Music Conference and uh, it was really funny because we, we sat down with everybody and some managers now will tell me what they said after we walked away from that meeting. And they're like, they're off their heads. <laughs> what are they even talking about, you know? But we persevered with it and, you know, Ants was born and you played the opening party. Did I? You played the very, I've got it here, I'll show you in a minute. Okay. You played the very, very first Ants show.
1: Wow. Okay. And here we are. It was clearly memorable.
0: Yeah, well, you didn't remember it. <laughs> but here we are, 10 years later, we're celebrating our 10th anniversary of Ants. So, yeah, so that party has been really, really successful for us. It's been monumental. we we built this from an idea to making that a reality and to taking it all around the world to celebrating. Now, te- like, if we look at all these DJs that have played for us, and by the way, at the beginning, it was very hard to book people, you know? So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> but it was very... Happy
1: to make my contribution.
0: <laughs> we should get you back for the 10 years. Possibly. It's here. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was it was difficult at the beginning it was hard to convince people because we knew it was going to work but you know people you know they're just like okay whatever and it took us maybe a good two or three years in order for people to actually see it and look at it and go yeah you know what I actually I want to play at that party and yeah it's, it's become a great brand and I think it's great for the island as well it's a fun party we don't take ourselves too seriously we used to say we're not underground we're fun underground that's but terrible I know it is <laughs> But at the end of the day, it was about creating a community. And, you know, we have a database of around 15,000 workers that signed up for this. And, you know, they're, they're very loyal and very supportive.
1: So I had a question about touring it, actually, because this is something that's come up previously on the podcast, about how difficult it can be to uh, take a take the vibe of a club night and put it in other places. Because, obviously, the vibe of a club is, is tied to the venue to a large extent, not entirely, but it's it's a really key part of it. So have you found taking it to other places and trying to you know I guess like reach out and then because presumably part of the reason you want to tour it is to market Schwire, right
0: yeah of course it's 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 kind of keeps the brand alive in the winter for 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 leading up to the summer um I think it's very it's it's difficult sometimes because Ants is an outdoor event you know it's sometimes you know you take it somewhere it needs to have that same vibe that same feeling uh, doing that in a club is very different because that's really not what it is. So we tend to be quite strategic when we're doing our hands bookings. You know, we try to try to kind of replicate what we do in Ibiza in terms of bringing the production there. You know, having the theme, we bring all of our our performers. So we try to keep that Ibiza essence wherever we take we take the brand in order to have that sort of reference point and for people to get that feeling of yeah, this is a brand from Ibiza and it feels relatively similar
1: Was it was there an element of trial and error getting that right because I mean it, it can be difficult
0: For sure yeah and we very quickly realised that club shows is not necessarily the right the right look for our brand unless it's something like you know we've done print works where it's a huge big industrial spray, space where we can actually put our marketing stamp on there and our, our, our decor and make it feel like a, a built out show but yeah we we tend to have to keep it to a certain level of capacity and generally try to keep it outdoors
1: yeah okay so i know you wanted to talk about bali and i think we've reached a point where we can do that Okay. so (laughs) tell me about what you're doing there Tell, tell, tell me about how you made your way there in the first place
0: i mean okay so bali for me was a completely new place you know when we get our time off we always go to thailand bali was never really on my radar and i went there for five days for um a DJ friend of ours was getting married, Fisher. So we went to his wedding in 2020, just just basically before the the world went a bit nuts and we all got locked in our houses. Um, and I'd said to my husband, "Let's give this a go next time. We're uh, you know next time we're going on holiday, let's try this." But then obviously the pandemic happened, so we we couldn't. And then in between that, um, I took a little bit of a step back um, and decided to go a bit more freelance, so I was approached by uh, somebody um, who was living in Dubai, who used, used to work in Vegas, and uh, he basically, he knew that I was, you know, available, and not actively looking for work, but, you know, wanted to have a conversation with me, and um, he said, look, we've got this venue in Bali, uh, would you be interested, we're looking for someone to programme, you know, to be our head of music, and... Um, I said, okay. Well, what what's what what I need to do? Do I need to live there? Do I have to move? You know, Abid is my home. How do we make this work? And he said, look, you only need to be there three months of the year. You know, you can work remotely. We've all learned that you can work from anywhere in the world these days. So as long as you can be there for three three months of the year, then I, then you know we can make it work. I was like, okay, that sounds sounds like a dream. So I uh, yeah, I started doing that it be just over a year now, and I'm in charge of like all of, all of the DJ bookings, um, all the musical programming.
1: How is it different musically compared to here?
0: It's there's definitely a scene in Bali, but I feel like like I'm still learning. You know, we're always learning. And to go to after living and working in Ibiza for over 20 years, to then going to Asia to a place that I've only visited for five days. Um, it's now trying to understand the Asian market, um, how they work, what sort of style of music they're into, what is the demographic that comes there. You know, so there are certain things you think might work that side of the world because it works here, or it works somewhere else. It completely is not the same case.
1: Give me an example of one of those things.
0: Um, I don't. I don't want to say who, specific <laughs> DJ names, but let's just say, look you know big names that you think right okay this is a home run it's 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 we're, what i'm doing right now which i feel is educating that market you know and we did something incredible over over the winter where we brought we brought uh rufus de sol we brought black coffee he's played there a lot by the way but you know we brought black coffee we brought marco Corolla, camel fat um Be- uh, who else satori we brought glitter box, you know. So I'm trying to to bring that st- that side style of music to that side of the world. That will only work for a certain window in time, because the summer in Bali is the same same summer as what it is in Ibiza, or in Europe. So essentially, from May till October, is when Bali's at its best. You know, weather's better, less chance of rain. So, unfortunately, all of that big t- the big talent is this side of the world. So we're now carving out a window of opportunity where we can bring that talent and have a a small season if you like um, from sort of New Year until until March
1: okay so that brings me on to a more general question I've got a few of these to finish off with how do you assess an act when you're looking to book someone? Like, are there... I mean, there's obviously soft factors involved, but, like, are there metrics that you use when you're looking to, um, you know, establish where someone's going to, you know, shift a certain number of tickets? Or, like, how do you go about, like, making that judgment? I
0: mean, like, it's... it's We all have to do our homework, you know? We can look at... And we can gauge... Especially for Asia, it's a very different market in terms of that EDM, that commercial sound is still very big there. So I know there's certain acts that... In that side of the world, they look at the, the top 100, you know, the top 10, for example. And that's how they, if they see, okay, we've got number one DJ in the world or number three. There's an element of that. So where, people actually
1: take that seriously?
0: Yeah, apparently. <laughs> but, you know, so for, if, if I'm looking at from the Asian market side, I know that, okay, if I pick this, this and this, we're going to have this type of clientele, you know, and we're going to sell tickets from... If we're talking about Ibiza, look, we, we're we very fortunate that at High Inishwai, all of our residencies have been with us for a very, very long time and they're grown with us. So every year you see it, the nights are getting bigger and bigger and the ticket sales are getting higher and higher um, and especially the advanced sales, you know. So we can already gauge from what how it's doing from the year before. We know how it's going to be for the year after, you know. We always go look historically Um, if something hasn't performed as well we might have to have a conversation about how what can we do to make it better do we need to invest more in marketing do we need to invest more in promotion you know but we're always looking at ways looking at ways to better ourselves and the business and get the best out of the night
1: so have you had a notable departure which caused you problems
0: not not really no I, I think that fingers crossed yeah fingers crossed no we're very like i say we're very very fortunate that all of our our djs and residencies you know they they come back at year after year because again we're all we're a family you know we all work so well together and everyone's very well taken care of and it's just like for most of them i i hope that it's like coming home
1: okay so i wanted to ask you about gender diversity which is something we've talked quite a bit about on the podcast not so much in lineups, although that is, a, you know, obviously an issue which has been talked about all sorts, you know, a lot. And I think there's been some pretty decent movement on that side of things. But on the back end of the industry, I mean, um, just walking around outside, it's, it's pretty obvious that, you know, this is still extremely male dominated. As someone, you know, you know, you just described your career, like has being a woman been a problem in your judgment?
0: That's a really good question. Um, I guess, yeah, you're right. It is is a very male-dominated industry. But I think for me, it's just... I've never let that get in my way. You know, I've never let that become an issue. I've never let that... I've never never felt that for me. I think I've got... Anyone that I've worked with, we all have a level of respect for each other. And, you know, I'm not saying that's the same for everybody. But for me, I've always... I've always found it... It's tough... But I don't think that's whether you're a man or a woman. The music industry, working in the industry, it's a tough business, you know? And it's your life. You have to dedicate your life to it, and it's stressful, and it's, ex- it's exhausting, um, but it's very, very rewarding.
1: I mean, do you think any of that toughness and that kind of stressfulness is down to the fact that there are so many dudes doing it?
0: <sighs> no, I, look, I think I consider myself one of the guys, one of the lads. Um, but would
1: it be easier if there were more women? From I mean, just I mean, easier is maybe a wrong way of putting it. But I mean, would there be a, a change in atmosphere which we which would be desirable? Do you think?
0: It's funny you should say that because if you go into our office,
1: I was going to say because you've got an all all female team. Yeah, right?
0: yeah. And like all of oh, my our, our booking team is female. You know, most of Jan's heads of department are women. You know, because we're better. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs>
1: um, and then on the artist booking side, how has that, because obviously there's been a big movement, a very visible movement to try and get better representation on lineups. I mean, how has that affected what you've done as a booker?
0: I mean, look, we're always very mindful you know that we want to be diverse not just with women but in all all genres and, and all, all cultures and we want to tick all of the boxes you know we want to tick all of the boxes that's maybe the wrong thing to say <laughs> that that's actually the really the wrong way to put it but we want to make sure that we're basically um looking after and 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 supporting and you know promoting and celebrating everybody you know and I think our opening party speaks for itself. We've got a full club room of women, you know, we've got women on the main, main stage, we've got women in the club room. We're basically, you know, we're very mindful and we're, we're very, very, very... So has that been
1: a deliberate strategy that no, you followed?
0: No, it's not a deliberate strategy. It's, about, it's literally about talent, you know? It's not about, oh, we need to do this and we need to make sure that... No, this person is an amazing DJ. That's why they're playing, you know? They sell tickets, they produce great music they're they're great people to work with you know all of that is very important for us you know it's not just about oh we have to tick a box it's 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 mo- it's so much more than that we have to make sure that we're celebrating everybody and i'm so happy right now that we're in a position where there's so many amazing female artists coming through you know it's just it's a great time for females to be djs
1: yeah okay so leslie's been great i've got one more which just definitely an easy one. Um, is ibiza still as good as it was in 1994
0: okay well listen i'm still here so it must be <laughs> for me anyway i enjoy it but look you come to ibiza i came to ibiza in the 90s i had an amazing time i come here in the 2000s i had an amazing time it, it, it evolves ibiza keeps evolving it keeps giving you something more it keeps giving you the reason to come back and you could say, okay, it's not like it was in the nineties or it wasn't, it's not like it was in the 2000s, but these kids that are coming today, they don't know about all of that, you know? They might they might see stuff online, like if there was the videos that are, you know, banks of content. But the reality is, if you're coming to Ibiza for the first time, you're literally gonna have the best experience that I had in the nineties. It's just a different different generation.
1: Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Leslie Tamman.
0: Thank you. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was Leslie Tatman in conversation at IMS Ibiza 2023. That was a really fun and interesting talk, I thought. I really enjoyed having it. We got some... Really juicy stuff out of her. We got into some real discussion in places, actually, which is quite nice. and doesn't always happen at these sorts of uh, music industry <laughs> do's. But yeah, some points of slight disagreement. Some, yeah, bit of uh, back and forth in places on certain issues. And yeah, I just kind of conversation I really enjoy having. So yeah, really good one. Okay, this is part two of IMS Special. Part three will be next Tuesday on the regular podcast schedule. If you like what we're doing here, you can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash scuba official. There are two tiers, both of which get you bonus podcasts every week or two, put something else up. There's going to be one imminently, which will be me discussing my thoughts on a for generally and the uh, forthcoming season this summer and my experiences at IMS and all that kind of thing. So yeah, if you want to Get into that, then head over to Patreon. The basic tier is I think it's what is it, three euros or something like that. <laughs> I really should know that. But yeah, it's it's super affordable anyway. Three euros a month. So it's like a price of a drink, half a pint of lager in London each month. That's pretty good value. If you don't want to do that, that's cool. Leave us a review or a rating on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. This hit the five star button. That really does help the show too. Join us for Discord, hotflushrecordings.com slash Discord is the invite to that Discord server. If you want to say anything, join the conversation about the show and follow a Spotify playlist. There's a link in the show notes to that playlist. Okay. So, as I said, we'll be back here for part three of the IMS special of the Not A Diving Podcast next week, next Tuesday. And yeah, I think I'm, I'm done here. <laughs> I'm done. I should stop talking. Okay. I will see you next Tuesday the next episode. Thanks for listening and I'll check you soon.